Welcome to Disinfected, I mean, Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. Thank you for joining us, um, and thank you for your patience with the show. I was just way too sick last week uh, to record one, but I did manage to make my way through a live appearance on Fox. So if you didn't check, if you didn't see that hit on Fox, uh, check out our YouTube channel. We talked about unbridled female narcissism for a couple of minutes. Um, and also, just in case some of you are curious, I do not know what I was sick with. No, I did not take a test to determine whether it was COVID. No, I will not be doing so. I merely had a sickness and sickness is normal. But I'm happy to be back. And I was gonna say I'm happy to see you, but I've done that several times. You're not actually there, I'm looking at a camera. Let's talk about Fauci and Rand Paul. Let's run our first clip here from the Senate. Do you really think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 salary to attack scientists that disagree with you? I think in you usual did. fashion, Senator, you are distorting everything about me. Did you First ever object all, to Dr. Collins's characterization of them as fringe? Did you write back to Dr. Collins and say, no, they're not fringe, they're esteemed scientists, and it would be beneath me I, I did to not, do that? Th this happens all the time. You personally attack me, and with absolutely not a shred of evidence of anything you say. The last time we had a committee, or the time before, he was accusing me of being responsible for the death of five, four to five million people. What happens when he gets out and accuses me of things that are completely untrue is that all of a sudden that kindles the crazies out there and I have life that threats upon my life, harassment of my family. So I ask myself, why would Senator want to do this? So go to Rand Paul website and you see Fire Dr. Fauci with a little box that says, contribute here. You can do $5, $10, $20, $100. So you are making a catastrophic epidemic for your political gain. You are making a catastrophic epidemic for your political gain. I don't know why you are attacking me and my family. God. That man drives me crazy. Big, mean Rand Paul is going after poor, defenseless little Dr. Fauci who didn't do anything wrong ever. He just cares about people. This is such nonsense. All this man does is deflect. He takes zero responsibility for his own decisions. He takes zero responsibility for the pain and ridiculousness that he's inflicted on the American population for the fact that he was involved with gain-of-function research in the Wuhan laboratory, that he lies about things that he admitted to in emails that we can see now. The man simply lies every day. He has nothing. What else can he do? He can't do anything but deflect. So I guess it, it, it's frustrating, but it isn't surprising because he doesn't have any other choice. Well, he does. He could admit... <laughs> He could admit that he's a pathological liar. He could admit that he's a narcissist. But, of course, he isn't going to do these things, is he? So it's just mean Rand Paul putting his family in danger. Mm. Okay, 
some good news, some tempered good news. The Supreme Court recently ruled against the Biden administration. They said that the presidential administration cannot enforce its vaccine mandate on private businesses with 100 or more employees. That's a very good thing. But the tempering part is that the court decided that the president can enforce this for healthcare workers, and I believe for um, healthcare workers in facilities that get federal funds. I haven't actually read the Supreme Court decision. There's probably some complicated reasoning behind that, but it doesn't look like a good sign to me. Um, and I, I see a lot of people saying that it looks like we're turning a corner when it comes to our obsession with COVID, um, and, and I think maybe we are. But any time a political hobby horse or a cultural fad that has been making a lot of bank or buttering a lot of people's bread, any time that comes to an end or it starts to become threatened, you have something that, that looks like an extinction burst where the partisans want to hold on for as long as they can and they just chuck everything, including the kitchen sink, at you. Um, I think that's what Joe Biden is doing right now. Let's take a listen to him talk about what he's going to send to American households in the mail. I've made sure that our doctors and nurses and first responders have the masks they need. Never again we're going to have our nurses using homemade masks and garbage bags over their clothing for hospitals because they don't have the gowns. We're, we've more than tripled our stockpile of the most protective specialized N95 masks since coming into office. This is going to make sure that there will be a, an ample supply of healthcare workers and first responders. We also have helped make sure that high quality masks are widely available in ample supply at affordable prices sold online and in stores. But I know that for some Americans, the mask is not always affordable or convenient to get. So next week we'll announce, we'll announce how we are making high-quality masks available to American people, the American people, for free. I, you know, I, I know we all wish that we could finally be done with wearing masks. I get it, but they're they're a really important tool to stop the spread, especially of a highly transmittable Omicron variant. high-quality I'm not doing this to be mean. It alarms me. He can't even enunciate his words. It's not an insult. It looks like a consequence of dementia, not a moral insult. This isn't normal. It's not normal. Here we are, almost two years into this goddamn pandemic, and we've got the president of the fucking United States talking about how he's going to make sure that nurses don't have to wear garbage bags because that was a huge problem and it stopped all sorts of wonderful things from happening. And he's talking about how he's going to mail us high quality masks. Are you kidding me? How many? <laughs> what happens when that one wears out? It's, it's hard because high-quality, affordable masks aren't easy to get. What? Well, first, first of all, high-quality, stop it. These masks do nothing. 
number, I don't care if they're in 95s. <laughs> I don't care. That's completely impractical. Nobody actually needs those out on the street. Nobody needs them. You can't go anywhere without masks set up on little kiosks next to the cash register. They are everywhere. Half the businesses I go into in and around Burlington, Vermont, have little boxes of free masks there for you to pick up and put on. Nobody doesn't have access. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I said no one doesn't have access to masks because you know I hate that. But that's how they talk. They can't access them. It's a problem of access. No, it isn't. This is, this is desperation. This is desperation at the end. <laughs> well, we've got a lot more extinction bursts to talk about. Come back after the break, and we will talk about how we've learned that mass formation and mass psychosis isn't real, and you are crazy and stupid if you think you're noticing anything that looks like it. See you on the other side. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell. Welcome back. If you're watching us on video, thank you very much, but I'd like to persuade you to subscribe to us on audio as well so that you won't miss us in the car. You won't miss us cleaning the house. You won't miss us gardening. Um, we're on every audio platform that you ordinarily get your podcasts, um, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and we will have some exclusive audio content, some more of that coming out too, that you won't be able to get on the video channel. So if you subscribe to that today on audio, you won't miss any of that. And um, if you haven't done so, would you share our podcast with a friend? Even if you don't want to put it up on your social media or it looks a little too controversial for your LinkedIn, privately tell a friend about it. We'd appreciate it. Thanks. So, The, the media is in overdrive, trying to rescue its narrative that everything we have been through in the past two years is normal, that people have been acting, no, not people, the people who agree with the media have been acting rationally, the people who have been obeying all of the COVID restrictions have been upstanding citizens who have good quality information and make mature choices based on that. They are terrified of the fact that more people are waking up to what a confected psychodrama this pandemic has actually been. Because people are waking up to it. I see more people protesting this every day. Not enough to satisfy me, not yet. But I think it's coming. 
And one of the ways they're doing this is is just a classic, well, I struggled trying to think, was I going to use these words when I talked about this with you today? Because these words take on emotional connotations and they, they tend to lose their descriptive power underneath those emotional connotations. So gaslighting, for example. What I'm going to talk to you about here, it, I think, is, is a classic example of gaslighting. But what I worry about is, is the connotations of that word. Uh, because people have gotten sick of the word, and I understand that. Words get overused. Um, and many people are have a sense that People are just grasping for and using words like that simply to dismiss things they don't like. And and people do do that. But I, I think this really is an example of gaslighting. It, it, and I mean that in, in, in the descriptive, not the emotive way. Deliberately trying to make onlookers and people around you question their judgment, question whether they really have seen what they think they've seen, question their senses question their actual, the actual data input from their senses in order to make them feel like they might be crazy. And it's a delicious irony because what we're going to talk about here is the obsession with discrediting what has been called mass formation, sometimes styled mass formation psychosis. This is an AP article, an AP fact check article fact checkers, experts and fact checkers. That's when you know to put on your skeptics hat. So I, I saw this on Twitter, of course, and the headline is mass formation psychosis and unfounded theory spreading online suggests millions of people have been, quote, hypnotized into believing mainstream ideas to combat COVID-19. Psychology experts say the concept is not supported by evidence. Mm, I bet they do, especially when they're part of the problem. They don't want you to see them for who they are. So you're crazy, and there's nothing like mass formation. I, 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 how do I describe this? I'm not actually sure if the guy who came up with it, and the guy who came up with this theory who was working on it is a psychologist named Dr. Matthias Desmet. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Ghent. And um, what he has been writing about and what he's been talking about on podcasts and shows is something that looks very much like what we lay people know as mass hysteria widespread belief in things that are false or widespread exaggerated emotional reactions to realities that are not as dangerous and not as fraught as the emotional reaction would lead you to believe. Or, in simple terms, how crowds act when they're scared, as they always have throughout time in human history. The media, the mainstream media, has been, and I think this, there's an example in this article, they are inserting the word psychosis into mass formation. I mean, Matthias Desmond may have used mass formation psychosis, but I've heard the term mass formation for a couple of months now, uh, described by him and, and used by other people who are talking about his hypothesis. It has only been within the past two weeks that I've seen the word psychosis hammered in there every single time. And I think the reason for that is because the media knows 
that there are emotional connotations to the word psychosis that people are very reactive to. They have very negatively react to hearing psychosis applied to anything that they might believe in. And you, you can understand why, but I think it's a dishonest tactic. I think it's trying to make it sound more outrageous and ridiculous than it is so that you, the reader, will... And you may not even be conscious of this, but if you're one of those people reading this and you say, well, I believe in, in the COVID restrictions. I think they're all reasonable. You're going to feel emotionally insulted if you see the word psychosis, and that's what they want you to feel. Because as soon as you feel emotionally insulted, you are now unwilling to consider anything that somebody like this says. So let's jump into the article. All right. First up. An unfounded theory taking root online suggests millions of people have been hypnotized into believing mainstream ideas about COVID-19, including steps to combat it, such as testing and vaccination. In widely shared social media posts this week, efforts to combat the disease have been dismissed with just three words, mass formation psychosis. You see this, right? Been dismissed. You've just dismissed the science, dismissed it all with these three words, mass formation psychosis. <laughs> Reversal, we're not doing the dismissing. The AP's doing the dismissing. Next one. The term gained attention after it was floated by Dr. Robert Malone on the Joe Rogan Experience December 31st podcast. Malone is a scientist who once researched mRNA technology, but is now a vocal skeptic of the COVID-19 vaccines that use it. But psychology experts say the concept described by Malone is not supported by evidence and it is similar to theories that have long been discredited. Here's a look at the facts. I want to point out a couple of things to you here. First of all, it's not till the end of this article that they actually tell you that the man who came up with the hypothesis is named Dr. Matthias Desmet. They don't. They don't tell you until all the way at the end because they're going after Dr. Robert Malone. That's who they're targeting. They want to lay this on him. So they won't even tell you the name of the man who actually formed this hypothesis that Dr. Malone was referring to. Also, where is it? Let me get back to it. Malone is a scientist who once researched mRNA technology. You know what they're doing? They're denying the fact that he invented the mRNA technology. They've been doing this for, oh, at least six months that I've noticed. He's exaggerating. He's just narcissistic. He just says he invented, but he only contributed to it. Looks to me like he did more than contribute to it. I mean, his name is on patents. They want, they, they want you to think this guy is a crank. This is what they're willing to do. Oh, this one's one of my favorites, so look on your screen here. It's, it takes the structure claim and then the facts. Claim. The concept of, quote, mass formation psychosis explains why millions of people believe in a mainstream COVID-19, quote, narrative and trust the safety and efficacy of the vaccines. Yeah, I think it does. I think it explains a lot of it. <laughs> do, you know, do you like their scare quotes? Scare quotes around narrative, like there's not a dominant narrative. Like you don't get in social trouble for questioning that narrative. Like people aren't trying to, pardon me, <clears throat> call you a kook or a conspiracy theorist <clears throat> 
or say you're unfit for your job if you object to masking or testing protocols. You just say it's a narrative, but it's not. It's just the truth. So here are the facts that they offer you. Malone highlighted the unfounded theory on a podcast hosted by comedian and commentator Joe Rogan. During the episode, Malone cast doubt on COVID-19 vaccine safety and claimed the mass psychosis, see, has resulted in, quote, a third of the population basically being hypnotized, end quote, into believing what Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert and mainstream news outlets say. Do you hear the hurt? Do you hear the hurt pride? I do. We're the main, we're the Associated Press. We're the AP. Dr. Fauci is the nation's top infectious disease expert. These people are offended nobility. They are really wounded and offended because they don't think they should be questioned. (laughs) I love it. The unfounded theory. <laughs> They're highlighting the term psychosis, like I said, because it's provocative, but they're also doing it without defining the term. Okay? They're doing it because because of the emotional connotations, but what they're not doing is is simply offering a definition. And the non-controversial definition is being disconnected from reality. Okay? Not all being disconnected from reality is psychosis. But the term psychosis conjures up for people, well, they mistake it a lot. They think it it means psychopath, for example. So they think that if someone's psychotic or if they have psychosis, that means they're the type who's a serial killer. Um, The AP could could help this. They They could say, this simply means a disconnection from reality, but they won't do that because they want you to be upset by this. Quote. They're quoting Dr. Malone here. Quote. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety in a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it, and then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point. Just like hypnosis, they literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere, end quote, Malone said. He claimed such people will not allow the narrative to be questioned, again with the scare quotes. Crediting a professor in Belgium, Malone also said in a December blog post that this mass hypnosis explains millions of people becoming captivated by the dominant narrative concerning the safety and effectiveness of the genetic vaccines. Crediting a professor in Belgium. I think that professor in Belgium is Dr. Matthias Desmet, who you still have not mentioned. (laughs) They won't even say his name. And I think what's going on here, I think the game that's being played is they're fastening onto words that, that sound controversial and provocative. Hypnosis is another one. P- 
people aren't probably literally hypnotized, if by that you mean somebody is swaying a watch in front of them and implanting suggestions that they won't consciously remember. And then when there's a trigger word they hear, they're going to go out and follow these things like robots. I don't think anyone is actually suggesting that. But they're acting as though that's the kind of crazy thing that Dr. Malone is suggesting. I don't think he is. And it doesn't require that level of kooky, basically movie hypnosis in order for people to understand what's what he's trying to get across here. Another one. Psychology experts say there is no support for the psychosis theory described by Malone. Again, psychology experts. But of course, Dr. Matthias Desmet, PhD in psychology, he's not an expert. Oh, wait, who's that? <laughs> Quote, to my knowledge, there's no evidence whatsoever for this concept, said Jay Van Bavel, an assistant professor of psychology and neuroscience at New York University, who recently co-authored a book on group identities. Van Bavel said he had never encountered the phrase mass formation psychosis in his years of research, nor could he find it in any peer-reviewed literature. I wonder why. Because it's new. It's a new phrase. What is this? I've never seen this exact combination of three words. Therefore, it's an unfounded theory and there's no support for it. What? <laughs> More experts. Quote, the concept has no academic credibility. Stephen Riker, a social psychology professor at the University of St. Andrews in the UK, wrote in an email to the Associated Press. The term does also not appear in the American Psychological Association's Dictionary of Psychology. <laughs> it's not in the DSM and it's not in the APA's dictionary. Therefore, nothing like this ever exists because this specific combination of three words isn't found there. Then anything it describes isn't real. It's not real. Oh, my goodness. Ah, here's a good one. They finally get around to quasi-defining psychosis. Psychosis is a term that refers to conditions that involve some disconnect from reality. According to a National Institutes of Health estimate, about 3% of people experience some form of psychosis at some time in their lives. Really? You really mean to tell us that only 3% of people are ever disconnected from reality at some point in their lives? This is, this is what I'm talking about. This is the illustration of what I'm talking about. They're trying to make you believe that the term psychosis is referring only to the craziest of the crazy. And it's obviously crazy that anyone should call you newspaper reader disconnected from reality. The concept has no academic credibility. Really? You know what it looks like to me? It looks like things we have all known for a very long time are part of the human condition. It looks like mass hysteria. It looks like mass psychogenic illness. It looks like social contagion. It looks like group behavior when mobs get frightened. We see this all throughout history because that's what humans do as a social species. 
Entire books have been written about this and have been for hundreds of years. Maybe it wasn't called mass formation psychosis. Maybe it was called mass hysteria. Maybe it was called social contagion. It's not controversial. It's not weird. It's not abstruse. We all see this in people. Whether you agree with me on this or not about COVID, fine, we can disagree. You too have seen examples of this happening in the real world. This is what cults do, right? Normal people get swept up in cults all the time. They don't like to hear about cults either because they like to, we like to think that we're not like that kind of people, but we are that kind of people because we're humans. Okay, a few more from here. Here's a quote from um, clinical psychology professor Richard McNally from Harvard. He wrote in an email that people who support COVID-19 vaccines and public health guidance are not delusional. Rather, they are, quote, fully responsive to the arguments and evidence adduced by the relevant scientific experts. For those of you on audio, I'm once again making a masturbatory gesture. <laughs> Rather, they are fully responsive to the arguments and evidence adduced by the relevant scientific experts. Can't you just see his pinky up with his cup of tea? <laughs> Health officials have found the COVID-19 vaccines to be safe and effective, especially in terms of protecting against serious illness. Officials said, said safe and effective, so they are. They're not delusional. They're just fully responsive to induced evidence. Well, if you were in the camp of people who was pushing for continued forced masking, forced vaccination, forced staying home, wouldn't you want to deflect attention away from your behavior too? Wouldn't you want to turn it around and say the people objecting to me are crazy? I'm the sane one? I think so. We're going to come up to the end of this. I got a couple more to share with you. Let me give you a quote from Wikipedia. And I know that Wikipedia is not really a primary source, but I mean, this was simply a good description of things that anyone can notice by reading or going around on the internet and reflecting on group behavior they've seen before. Tell me if the, any of this sounds familiar to you. Mass psychogenic illness, also called mass sociogenic illness, mass psychogenic disorder, epidemic hysteria, or mass hysteria, involves the spread of illness symptoms through a population when there is no infectious agent responsible for contagion. It is the rapid spread of illness signs and symptoms affecting members of a cohesive group originating from a nervous system disturbance involving excitation, loss, or alteration of function, whereby physical complaints that are exhibited unconsciously have no corresponding organic etiology. Now, COVID is real and organic. It's not made up. This is not like a mass uh, psychogenic illness like the famous example of the, the mad gasser of Mattoon. 
If you haven't heard of that, look it up. There was a, gosh, was it Illinois or Indiana? Back in the 40s, there was a <clears throat> an outbreak of, of mass hysteria in a town where people were convinced that um, some sort of peeping Tom or intruder who wore a mask was going into people's houses at night and gassing them with an anesthetizing gas um, and, and then running away. Of course, it wasn't real. Um, COVID is real. It's an organic virus and it is real, but people are walking around acting as though it is something other than what it is, that it can jump off grocery bags and into your, uh, into your blood system, that people who have no symptoms whatsoever, aren't even coughing or sneezing, are as dangerous as people who are sitting there expelling mucus out into the air. I don't see how this is very different at all from what we call mass hysteria. How is it any different from the epidemics of anorexia or bulimia, where young women think that they're fat when they're quite literally not fat, and they engage in all sorts of ritual behaviors and, and literal body mortification to, to combat this, this non-existent state of fatness? I mean, I could give you a million examples, but we've all seen this. And in fact, take a look at the cover of a book published in 1841 called Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions by Charles McKay. It may not even have been the first time this thing was written about, but he has chapters on so many phenomena that he was observing over um, at the time and, and prior to publication of the book. Economic bubbles like the tulip craze in Holland, uh, the witch hunting mania that, uh, well, there were several witch hunting manias that swept Europe for a long time. How is this any different? All right. One little funny before we take a break here. Um, <laughs> Social media is so amusing. Um, I posted on Twitter about how I have lost confidence and faith in medical professionals and that I'm, I'm never going to look at them the same way again. I'm never going to trust them again. Not like I did before. I'll read you a couple of the tweets that I posted and my favorite reaction. So I said, if you're a physician, oh, got to get my borderline glasses on. If you're a physician, something you may not have realized. When I see so-and-so MD in your profile, my first red flag now goes up. In today's political climate, obvious signaling that you are a medical doctor makes a number of people suspicious, not trusting. If you want to get angry with me about that, do so. It'll make me trust you even less. Why? Because it indicates exactly what I suspected. Status is what is important to you primarily. This is the fault of your field, not my fault. You all did this to yourselves. <laughs> and along comes a wild Kathy Young. If you don't know who Kathy Young is, she's a writer and contributor to the libertarian magazine Reason. Um, She's very status conscious. She's very into being in the in crowd and respectable. And she likes to make a great big deal out of um, tone policing people for respectability points. So she she followed me a couple of months ago. Kathy, I hope you're watching this, actually. Um, I'll repeat to you what I I'll repeat here what I told you on Twitter. 
I knew exactly what you were doing when I saw you follow me about two to three months ago. I, I already knew you didn't like me and you didn't like the crowd that I hung around with because I don't like your crowd and I'm vocal about it. So I knew that you were following me so that you could do a setup for what you did, okay? You're real transparent, sweetheart. So she pops in and she says, I'm not a doctor, but I'm unfollowing you over these tweets for your information. <sighs> oh my God. Kathy kicked me out of the popular girls table. I am devastated. <laughs> Come back after the break and we're going to turn to the LA Times to um, see which people's deaths we can mock and still feel good about ourselves. See you on the other side. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell. Welcome back. This next one's going to be a little grisly. Schadenfreude. Now, it's probably a little worse than Schadenfreude. I think. Oh, is this part of the extinction burst? Is this is something else. I'm not really sure. We've talked about this on the show before the glee with which people are dancing on the graves of people who've died who they don't like. Oh, he didn't get vaccinated, bet he wishes he did now. Or all the doctors and nurses that we've talked about who claim that they sat at the bedside of dying patients who had COVID and as the patient held their hand, they begged them for the vaccine. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> but some people are getting really, really brazen with their cruelty. I, I'm trying to remember a time when I ever would have expected to see something like this in a so-called respectable mainstream media outlet. This is an article from business columnist Michael Hiltzik in the Los Angeles Times, and the title is, Mocking Anti-Vaxxers Deaths is Ghoulish, Yes, But Necessary. Among all the ways that COVID-19 affects our lives, the pandemic confronts us with a profound moral dilemma. How should we react to the deaths of the unvaccinated? On the one hand, a hallmark of civilized thought is the sense that every life is precious. 
On the other hand, those who have deliberately flouted sober medical advice by refusing a vaccine known to reduce the risk of serious disease from the virus, including the risk to others, and end up in the hospital or the grave, can be viewed as receiving their just desserts. Can they now? How far do we extend this? Those who flouted sober medical advice about eating right, about exercising? Where's the limiting principle here? Keep that in mind, limiting principle. I'm going to come back to that concept. So let's take a look at some of the things that Michael Hiltzik likes and approves of. Again, all of this that I'm going to uh, read to you, this is, these are, this is all his words from his column. Witness the subreddit. Uh, Reddit, for those of you who don't know, is an online discussion space. A subreddit means a space uh, dedicated particularly to one specific topic. Witness the subreddit Herman Cain Award, which Lily Loofborough of Slate identified in September as, quote, a site for heartless and unrepentant schadenfreude. The site is named for the former Republican candidate for president who became one of the first political notables to succumb to the disease after publicly defying social distancing measures. Like another site, sorryantivaxer.com, the subreddit hosts snippets and photographs of anti-vaccine advocates often taken at their deathbeds. Charming. The issue of how to think about the deaths of unvaccinated, of the un, of, now I'm sorry, the typo is in the original. The issue of how to think about the deaths of unvaccinated has been thrown into high relief locally by the case of Kelly Earnby, a prominent Orange County Republican and deputy district attorney who advocated against vaccine mandates and died of COVID around New Year's Day unvaccinated. Earnby's death promptly came to symbolize the rift in the social fabric caused by the ravages of COVID. No. No, you son of a bitch. No. Caused by people like you. Not caused by COVID. Not because COVID. Because of wicked, cruel people's deliberate actions. People like you, Michael Hiltzik. Not because COVID. My colleague Nicholas Goldberg recently lamented eloquently the rift in the social fabric, he loves that phrase, that this species of callous commentary represents. Quote, mocking anti-vaxxers when they get sick has become a bit of a sport, he wrote. I have a slightly different take. <laughs> he then, uh, I'll synopsize uh, some paragraphs for you. Michael Hildsick then describes the kind of COVID deaths of the unvaccinated that are acceptable um, and don't deserve to be mocked. People who have legitimate vaccine worries, as he describes them. Uh, deaths of children, surprised he's that generous. Those who face obstacles getting to a vaccine site, you know, the people who don't exist. Those who have been deceived by Fox News. And yes, he does specifically say Fox News. So if they were deceived by Fox News and that's why they decided not to get vaccinated, we can't mock their deaths. 
aren't we supposed to mock everyone who watches Fox News? <laughs> That's what I said when I had my appearance with uh, Rachel Campos Duffy uh, on primetime last Friday. Um, <laughs> it, I, it called to mind how many people I've seen who were either um, liberals or leftists or former liberals or leftists who went on Fox News because no other mainstream media, allegedly middle-of-the-road media, would ever talk to them. And I've seen people actually apologize for this. I'm sorry, I wish I could I wish I could have done it somewhere else, but nobody else would talk to me. I'm gonna apologize for going on Fox News. I thank Fox News. Thank God there's at least one television channel that will allow people to have a dissenting opinion. <laughs> yeah, I know. Believe me, if I were to <laughs> if I were to die of, of COVID tomorrow, it would be nothing but mockery of me. I have no doubt about it. Back to Michael Hiltzik. The deaths of all those victims are truly lamentable. Finally, there are those who have voiced public opposition to the vaccines, not all of whom are unvaccinated themselves. Some have couched their opposition in policy terms. Earnby, remember, she's the Orange County Republican. Earnby fell into that category. She asserted opposition not to the vaccines as such, but to vaccination mandates. God, who does she think she is? Bad enough to talk about the vaccines, but opposing mandates? Contrary to Earnby's assertions, however, mandates do work. Requirements that people provide evidence of vaccination before attending public events or entering restaurants or bars have been associated with heightened vaccine rates abroad. Employer mandates in the U.S. have raised vaccination rates at workplaces, as United Airlines has shown. Really? Work for what? Compelling people to do something they don't want to do? Yep, it works to do that. Getting people fired because they wanted to make their own medical decisions, not those of their employer? Yep, that works. It works to get them fired. It works to keep their schools closed. <laughs> We're going to see this in the next segment, too. I guess I'm going to foreshadow this a little bit. You might be thinking to yourself, What's the connection between what we're talking about today on the show and the things that we usually talk about? Uh, narcissism, uh, self-interestedness, cruel behavior, cluster B personality disorder styles, these sorts of things. The connection here is that we are all in a narcissistic dynamic. We are all living in a cluster B dynamic. Doesn't mean that everybody that I'm talking about on the show has a personality disorder. Some of them do, a lot of them do. I suspect allegedly. <laughs> But there are a whole, but most people don't, but we're all in this dynamic. And one of the ways that people accommodate themselves to this dynamic, if they're not among the set of the cruel and the narcissistic, they take on extraordinary guilt and responsibility. They act, well, I was going to say they act as, no, they don't act as, they are what we call codependents. They take on a sense of responsibility for other people that is not genuinely theirs. They take it from people like Michael Hiltzik, playing, um, playing puppet master with this sort of shit. And we'll see that in the next segment. But I'm not finished with Hiltzik. 
And do you remember? Do you remember how I've talked about the fact that this dehumanization of people who are unvaccinated or who object to, I remind you, unconstitutional and illegal state and federal mandates, that it is okay to make fun of them, it is okay to mock them, because we developed that model for other people decades ago. And we developed that model first for smokers. If you go back into the anti-smoking literature, it's you can probably go back 40 years worth now. You will see a term of art used called spoiled identity. It's what it sounds like. This is anti-smoking researchers talking about the fact that they have successfully created what they called a spoiled identity for smokers, meaning they get no respect, they are seen as dirty, they are seen as morally corrupt addicts, and they don't have to be respected. They talk about this in positive terms, the benefits that the spoiled identity has had, because it makes people so ashamed that they go ahead and quit or they never start. I'm not saying it's a good thing to smoke cigarettes. It's not a healthy thing to smoke cigarettes, but it isn't my place to tell people what to do. They believe it's their place, but they were perfectly fine. They're very happy to have done this. These people are sadists. They're not empathetic. They're not caring. They don't have some grand moral commitment to health. They're sadists. They're just fucking sadists. And this is why the unvaccinated can be treated this way now. Back to Hiltzik. As for whether a vaccination mandate is a slippery slope to more government control, as Earnb maintained, government mandates have been with us for untold decades. We require drivers to wear seatbelts, cars to be equipped with airbags, and drivers to observe speed limits and avoid pedestrians. We ban smoking in public places. See? Do you see? Notice how he's mixed up unlike concepts as if they were like. We observe speed limits and avoid pedestrians. Not hitting pedestrians is called not murdering people. It's not the same thing as the government coming along and telling you for your own good that you have to wear a seatbelt. Not the same. One of these things is not like the other. One of these... Th Never mind. Doesn't matter. People won't think this through. We ban smoking in public places. No, we don't ban smoking in public places. We ban smoking in private property that is owned by small business owners. We have redefined private property to mean public. Keep that in mind, too. It's communistic. There's no limiting principle with people like this. What I mean by limiting principle is how far is too far? So you say, it's not a slippery slope because we've already been doing it. No, it is a slippery slope because every time we do it, it, people take it as a justification to push further on the next issue. Just because, well, look, we already do it doesn't mean it's okay now. Where's the limiting principle? What is the line? How far is too far? If you can't answer for yourself what your limiting principle is, 
You have a dangerous relationship to your ideology. If you can't easily identify a stopping point where you say, this goes too far, and if you can't articulate why it goes too far, you're going to get carried away. Back to it. Obviously, the mandates exist because these diseases threaten not only infected persons themselves, but the community, meaning anyone they come in contact with. That's the folly of the anti-mandate argument. It places a perverse conception of individual, quote, freedom in opposition to the communal interest. Perverse conception of individual freedom? Scare quotes around the word freedom? in opposition to the communal interest? Learn to recognize communist sentiment when you see it. This is communist sentiment. That's what it is. Don't tell me that's hyperbolic. Don't tell me I sound like the old Korean war vet who thinks everyone's a commie. This is what that is. Communism is not good. Just because we've spent most of our lives in my generation laughing at older people who warned us about communism doesn't mean we were right. You're not a kook if you recognize communism and that it's dangerous. That was a mistake that I made most of my life. Don't make that mistake. These people don't love you. This community they're talking about, it's not a safe place for you. Hiltzik says, the consequences are pernicious. They can be measured in overwhelmed emergency rooms and intensive care units, in hospital staffs burned out or rendered missing in action because they've been infected or they've been fired. Earned me reportedly died at home, but others of her ilk took up hospital beds that may accordingly have been denied to others in great need of treatment for non-COVID conditions. People of her ilk took up hospital beds. You hear that, right? They took up our hospital beds. He didn't use the word our, but that's what he means. Took them up. Those are ours. It's like when people say, you're ruining our health care system. It's not not Earnby's hospital bed just because you don't like her and just because she didn't get a vaccine. They're trying to make you responsible for the community. And if you don't march to their tune and service the community, you're a suppressive person, like Scientology says. Her ilk. That brings us back to the tenor of the online reaction to the deaths of Earnby and her fellow anti-vaxxers. Some of those who object to the tone of the commentary are merely voicing a variation of the civility argument that was commonly raised against critics of the intemperate and inhumane policies of the Trump administration. My God. As I observed then, pleas for civility are fraud. Their goal is to blunt and enfeeble criticism and distract from its truthfulness. Typically, they're the work of hypocrites. <laughs> Listen to this guy. <laughs> Michael, you're not merely uncivil. You're fucking cruel. You're morally depraved. I don't think you're uncivil. I think you're morally depraved. So what then is the proper response to the deaths of anti-vaxxers or other determined foes of public health? 
First, we must acknowledge that the enemies needing to be stamped out are misinformation, lies, and stupidity being injected into the fight against COVID. Kelly Earnby's friends and family ask us to remember her for her career as a public servant and as a devoted spouse and mother. But let's not mince words. Her campaigns against public health measures negated whatever good she may have done in her other endeavors. Can you believe that? The fact that she is against vaccination mandates negates any good work she ever did at any other point in her life. She's scum and has nothing good about her. He doesn't want to stamp out misinformation. This guy wants to stamp out people. That's what he wants. One more quote. But mockery is not necessarily the wrong reaction to those who publicly mocked anti-COVID measure. Oh, my God in heaven. Am I reading something from a six-year-old here? Sorry, let me go back to the quote. But mockery is not necessarily the wrong reaction to those who publicly mocked anti-COVID measures and encouraged others to follow suit before they perished of the disease, the dangers of which they belittled. Nor is it wrong to deny them our sympathy and solicitude or to make sure it's known when their deaths are marked that they had stood fast against measures that might have protected others from the fate they succumbed to themselves. There may be no other way to make sure the lessons of those teachable moments are heard. Michael Hiltzik, you're an abusive scumbag. You are every abusive husband who says it's fine to berate and mock or maybe hit his wife if she didn't have the dinner on the table when he wanted it. You're like my mother who believed that it was good and fine to deny her children sympathy or any room to make their own decisions or have their own opinions if they conflicted with what she wanted to see. This is just fundamentally abusive. And it's in the LA Times. This is normal now. Welcome to the new normal. Do you like our society? This is our society. You know what gets me about this? I'm a loudmouth. I'm blunt. I'm harsh. But I am not cruel. You can be mad at me. You can think I am over the top. You can think I'm hyperbolic. But I'm not cruel. I don't actually take delight in other people's suffering. I don't want other people hurt, even people I dislike. I don't understand this. I've had cruel thoughts. We all do. We're all capable of cruelty. We're all capable of sadism, right? Me included. I've had ugly, dark thoughts about people, revenge fantasies. But I keep them to myself. And I actually have a conversation with myself about not getting carried away with those things because it's really, really easy when you're angry to allow that to carry you away until you start justifying all sorts of unacceptable behaviors to other people. But it's people like me who are objecting to, to the government taking away your freedom, objecting to citizens trying to get you canceled. It's we who are looked at like we're crossing the moral Rubicon, but somebody like Michael Hiltzik somebody as sadistic as that, is published in the LA Times like that was completely normal. It's a narcissistic reversal. 
And we've got one more segment coming up and we've got a break coming up, but I wanted to share with you. I had a few, but I'm only going to share one with you. Another example of parents who are proud to display their abusive practices toward their children in public on social media. Take a look at this. This is from a social media user who calls herself Butterscotch1. And she says this, my son tested positive. My husband and I am in that ass. I even took the Xbox. Your ass in quarantine and alone in that room. Don't come out unless it is to the bathroom. Only reason we didn't take the phone is so he can text for food and water. Really? She's punishing her son because he tested positive for COVID, because he caught a virus. She's put, do you see? We took the Xbox. Don't come out unless it's to go to the bathroom. The only reason we didn't take his phone is so that he'd ask for food and water. Why does he have to text you for food and water? Why aren't you feeding him? Yeah, I know, I know, she deleted the tweet. But she wrote the goddamn tweet. This is the kind of stuff that people think is normal. Not everybody, of course. But enough. <laughs> Come back, and after the break, we will close out the show talking about how and why a 40-year-old science writer had to cancel his birthday party on account of Omicron. See you then. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, Subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell. We now have a bonus for our supporters. You can help the Disaffected Podcast grow and receive invitations for our off-air Zoom hangouts by becoming a supporting member on Patreon or Subscribestar. Patreon users, go to patreon.com slash disaffected. Subscribestar users, you can find us at subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Check out our webpage at disaffected.fm for the complete list of ways you can help support us. And thank you. Welcome back. Do you like the show? I like the show. I like the show so hard. <laughs> if you do like the show, will you help pay for it? We would love to have your support on Patreon.com or Subscribestar.com. Um, lots of people have signed up, especially in the past couple of weeks. Thank you, folks. We had some email technical troubles, so my acknowledgments and thank yous took a little bit longer, but they should be in your inbox now, and I appreciate all of you. Um, any amount of money would be gratefully accepted. It costs money to do this, and your support is appreciated. If you do sign up, you will be invited to our donor and supporter-only Zoom hangouts. They usually take place once a month. I know we haven't had one yet in January. I'm going to schedule one up real soon. But they're a lot of fun. Sometimes we watch movies, and uh, all the time they're unscripted, they're unrecorded, and we get to talk about what you want to talk about. So thank you very much. I've got a little treat for you. <laughs> I almost couldn't believe this when I saw it. I thought it had to be 
a parody, but it's not a parody. Let's roll it, Kevin. Oh, and I'll, I'll narrate for you over this, um, uh, for those of you who are on audio. Pick, it's a picture of a guy wearing a mask, and what they're saying is that images of men what in masks were perceived as being more attractive. Uh, in the past, when people put a, a surgical face mask on, this cues people to think of there's a disease present, and that will make people uh, judge the face as being less attractive. What happens now is that when people um, see someone with a mask, they're no longer being cued that there is a disease there, but what they're doing is they're seeing people as being more attractive. 43 women were asked to rate the attractiveness of images of male faces without a mask, wearing a plain mask, wearing a blue surgical mask, or covering their faces with a book. The experiment took place in February 2021 uh, when there was currently within the UK a uh, face mask mandate. People were required to wear face masks so people would be seeing face masks a lot more. Lewis says so the global pandemic the has changed the way we um, think about people who wear masks. Whether the effect was only present there for attractive face, uh, unattractive faces or whether it was present for attractive faces as well. And what we find is that covering up the, the uh, bottom half of the face uh, is, yes, they, it does improve the attractiveness of unattractive faces, but equally, even for the, the, the highest uh, set of attractive faces within our database, uh, it's still increased the attractiveness. So what we'd expect is if we had George Clooney or someone as attractive as George Clooney, then what we're doing is we're looking at the top half of his face. Uh, we're filling in the gaps of what might be in the bottom half of the face. And we're, when we tend to fill in those gaps, we tend to fill in those gaps, gaps with whatever we think it would be most attractive. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who can't see, they entered this sweet little media package with a, a cropped picture of George Clooney universally recognized as one of the world's handsome men. Yeah, right. You know what, Mr. Researcher, put a bag over your head because you ought to be embarrassed to show your face with bullshit research like this. Facial masks make you more attractive because 43 women looked at some photographs and said, yeah, I think the ones wearing the masks are more handsome. I'm sure it doesn't have anything to do with the typical female preference for signals of safety. I'm sure that in the past two years, everything about human sexuality and evolved psychology has suddenly changed and wearing a mask will make you more attractive and get you a partner more quickly. Get out of my face with this. <laughs> Unbelievable. Moving on to something only slightly less pathetic, let's talk about how science writer Ed Young is bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders and did the bold move of sacrificing his birthday happiness for public health. Ed Young is a science writer. For where? The Atlantic, of course. <laughs> that magazine we're going to have to start paying royalties to because I get so much material for the show. <laughs> the Atlantic, of course, is, is home to our the essay from our friend Honor Jones, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, who remade her life and um, divorced her husband and 
was sorry that she took something away from her kids, but at least she gave them a way of being in the world. <laughs> this essay that we're going to talk about here, this is an example of what I meant in the last segment when I said we are all caught up in a psychological abuse dynamic. My opinion about this is that, that Ed Young here is on the other side. He's not a Michael Hiltzik. He's not cruel or sadistic. I think he looks to me like he's ruminating in a way that is typical of a codependent partner in an abusive relationship, taking on way more responsibility than is rightfully his, um, trying to fix things that he can't fix and that he's not actually responsible for, and experiencing an extreme amount of inappropriate guilt. I think it's very sad, actually. I think it's kind of pathetic for a 40-year-old, but it's also sad. So let's talk about it. Quote, I turned 40 today and I was planning to have a party. The Delta surge made me nervous about it. The arrival of Omicron made me cancel it. No, Ed. Sorry to jump in so early in your story, but Omicron did not make you cancel your party. You made you cancel your party, not because COVID, because you. If someone got sick, I know others could too. A week later, many of my friends will spend Christmas with their own families. At best, a, clu a cluster of infections at the birthday party would derail those plans, creating days of anxious quarantine or isolation and forcing the people I love to spend time away from their loved ones. At worst, people might unknowingly carry the virus to their respective families, which might include elderly, immunocompromised, unvaccinated, partially vaccinated, or otherwise vulnerable people. Being born eight days before Christmas creates the almost, almost the perfect conditions for one potential super spreader event to set off many more. Super spreader of Omicron, the mild variant that's like a mild cold. Look how much responsibility he takes on. For the elderly, the immune compromised, the unvaccinated, not just the people at his party, but the people they may be in contact with. What if they come to his party and they go home and their grandma, how many degrees of separation are enough, Ed? I mean, if you're gonna cancel your birthday party, why not cancel your trip to the grocery store? Well, maybe he already has, maybe he's, um, Maybe he's getting everything delivered by Instacart, but that wouldn't save him, would it, Ed? Because when you place an Instacart order, you're inducing someone to go out and have contact with other people and they might get sick. Are you responsible for that too? If not, why not? Quote, my friends, of course, are adults who can make informed decisions about their own risks and their own loved ones risks. But the logic of personal responsibility only goes so far. Omicron is spreading so rapidly that if someone got infected at my party, my decision to host it could easily affect people who don't know me, who had no say in the risks that I unwittingly imposed upon them. 
Omicron is unlikely to land me in the hospital, but it could send my guest grandparents or parents to one. I'm surprised he didn't say, <laughs> or to the cemetery. <coughs> Pardon me. I get, this looks like codependence. This taking on the responsibility for other people, imagining that you are the linchpin on which turns great and consequential questions of health and mortality. You're not, Ed. You're just a guy. You're just a guy like I am. And they had no say in the risks I imposed on them. You're not imposing any risks on anyone. That's not what the word imposing means, Ed. Imposing means that you are pushing something on people after they say no that they don't want. You're not imposing risks on people who voluntarily come to your birthday party. And you know, you know the thing about codependent-like behavior, taking on that guilt and responsibility? There's another side to it. It's not just taking on guilt. It's also bigging yourself up. It's also a little narcissistic, isn't it? This is the kind of... I'm not, I'm not saying personality disordered, okay? I'm just using narcissism as, as, as the trait that all humans have in, in some measure or another. The narcissism of thinking you're that important, that you're that crucial. This is something that really animates a lot of the left, the identitarian left, the public health left, the woke left. I, I don't even think they necessarily do it consciously. And I'm, I'm relating it to my own experience when I was one of these people, and I did these things too, and I had a lot of that narcissistic self-regard that my voting uh, and my, um, my choices about what to highlight were, you know, what other people needed to hear. And I was the one, I was the one who cared about people. I was the one who cared about the homeless. It's narcissistic. Then he goes on to talk about interviewing medical staff at hospitals, how broken they sounded, how overworked, how they cried to him over the phone. And then he says, I feel haunted by their words when I make decisions about the pandemic. When I stare out my window, the world looks normal, but I know through my reporting that it is not. This has already changed the way I behave and not just to avoid getting COVID. I've been trying to drive more carefully in the knowledge that if I got into an accident, I wouldn't get the same care that I would have two years ago. I feel that the medical system in this country is at a tipping point, a fragile vase bound so precariously on an edge that even a fly could knock it over. Omicron is a bullet. It's one that we can each choose whether to fire. Oh, for fuck's sake, Ed. I was feeling bad with you up uh, for you up until this point, but th drop the bullshit. Omicron is a bullet. We can choose to fire it. Queen, please. <laughs> People say I'm melodramatic. <laughs> and here Ed says... <laughs> I don't think we have a graphic for this, but I'll just read it to you. For many people, this will all sound like a lot of melodrama. Yup. 
Surely the odds are still low that anyone at the party would have Omicron at all, let alone that any resulting infections would be severe enough to bother a hospital. Oh, yup. Even if that wasn't... I'm sorry, this really bothers me. Even if that weren't true... With people widely partying and traveling, surely canceling any one event would be an impossibly small drop in an impossibly large bucket. Yes. Yes, sweetie. And yes, it does sound like a lot of melodrama. Have you considered telenovelas? That might satisfy your craving for drama. <laughs> it sounds like you need an outlet. <laughs> I can't believe this. Okay, so this this part is serious. Here comes the communist sentiment that actually underlies his anxiety and his approach. Yeah, I mean that. I'm not saying Ed Young is a party card-carrying communist. I'm sure he's not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that this ideology is communistic. It does turn on the idea that what is important is not individuals, not their individual interests, not their own capacity to make decisions and be sovereign, but the community interest, the public health. That is what is foregrounded. That's communism. And there is, there's daylight between being a complete narcissistic solipsist who doesn't care about anyone else and being a full-blown communist. There is daylight between those. I'm not saying that people shouldn't cooperate to help each other. I'm not denigrating the idea of community. I have friends. I have people I care about. I have neighbors I help. But you can go too far. And we've all gone too far, and we don't recognize it. So bear, bear that in mind as I give you this next quote. I sympathize with these arguments, but I've tried to take to heart the lesson I keep writing about, that the pandemic is a collective problem that cannot be solved if people or governments act in their own self-interest. Let that sink in. I've tried to consider how my actions cascade to affect those with less privilege, immune or otherwise. Instead of asking, what's my risk? I've tried to ask, what's my contribution to everyone's risk? So it's a collective problem. It's a problem of the collective. But what is the collective? What does that mean? What is the community interest? Think about that. What is, is the community a sentient being that can be said to have interests? Does that make sense? Or is it individuals who have interests? Do communities take actions or do people, individual people take actions? This isn't the Borg yet. We're not drones. Our biological and technological distinctiveness has not yet been subsumed to service them. It's close, though. Prioritizing 
the interests of the community in this way means ignoring or stealing the rights of individuals. That's what it means. When you say you can't do this because the community, you're talking about taking away the sovereignty of individuals. And no, it's don't don't come back with something silly. Don't say, well, we like, what if you want to murder people? Like the community has an interest in not being murdered. Duh. But when you murder, you're not hurting the community, are you? You're hurting a person. You're killing a person. That is an offense and a crime against an individual person. The units of subjective consciousness who have interests. I didn't understand this until fairly recently. And I remember the first time I heard the following quotation. And I thought it was absolutely horrible and it was everything that was wrong with modern capitalism and selfishness and the West. Let me read it to you. And you know, there's no such thing as society. There are individual men and women and there are families. And no government can do anything except through people. And people must look after themselves first. It is our duty to look after ourselves and then also to look after our neighbors. That was Margaret Thatcher. She's right. She was right. Do you notice the Iron Lady here? This horrible woman who doesn't care about anybody? It is our duty to look after ourselves and then also to look after our neighbors. Yeah. But not at the end of a gun held by the government. I will look after my neighbors based on the voluntary cooperation that my neighbors and I have negotiated with each other face to face, not because the government tells me to do it. That's the difference. Okay, let's end up with something amusing and disturbing. You know, like always. We've had a lot of episodes talking about examples of parents who are trying to push their children into queer identities, using them for politicking, inserting ridiculous high-level verbal disquisitions into the mouths of six-year-olds about everything from climate change to LGBTQIA rights. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand why this mother put this up on here because her kids called her right out. Kevin, let's roll this tape, please. White people that aren't like serial killers like Ted Bundy. Does your mom say you have to be LGBT? Um, no. no. I think she's what I want to be, but some. T- but. On. Go ahead, Lex. Go ahead. Keep talking. Say what you're saying. Um, my mom doesn't matter if I'm up if I am gay or lesbian or any of that she doesn't care all she cares about is that I'm a part of it and if I'm not a part of it she'll try to convince me to uh, um, get, join it cause I what are you saying right now facts that I would convince you to join what the LGBTQIA plus community my mom doesn't care if I'm gay or lesbian she just wants me to be a part of it 
I would convince you to do what? What are you saying? Facts, the kid says. You're going to convince me to be a part of it. Uh-huh. What is a kid that, this is like an eight-year-old kid. What is he doing saying, my mom doesn't care if I'm gay or lesbian or whatever? What is this? And for those of you who can't see, the other child, the silent child in that video has Kool-Aid blue hair. Uh-huh. Mommy, you got called out and you're too goddamn stupid to realize it because you put this thing on social media. <laughs> it's funny, but it's not funny. Stop trying to constrict your kids into this stuff. Okay, that's it. That's the show. Again, everybody, thank you very much. We're sorry we missed it last week, but one show missed in a year, I'll take it. See you next time.